Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. It takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. E.E. E. Cummings. I've always loved adventures and I, I don't love waiting around for someone who's going to be able to share them with me or share them in the way that I want to. So I've just gone out and done what I wanted. And um, with hiking too, you know, during COVID, it was, I wasn't inviting anyone else out there. So um, I kind of learned it all myself. Um, and yeah, on, on the long trail, I, I went into it thinking I was so comfortable being alone and that I already knew how to do that. And I actually felt like my experience was uh, really actually learning how much I enjoyed other people and, and finding those connections on the trail. So I, I almost feel like I had the opposite experience of a lot of people kind of going out on their solo journey. I'm Doc. And this is Hacker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? 
Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. If you like what we're doing here, just take a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you don't like what we're doing, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a thru-hiker and Vermont transplant. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Angela Gluck. How's it going, Angela? Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. So we had an interesting introduction. We actually met on the trail during uh, your time on the Tahoe Rim Trail, my time in Desolation Wilderness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it was our third day on the trail. And uh, yeah, that was a really cool, it was a great day for me. And it was really wonderful meeting you out there. Thank you. Yeah, I was down by the water in late in the afternoon and Chopper, one of the guys I was hiking with comes down and says, hey, there's this young couple who is like uh, setting up camp right on top of us. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We were actually worried we were crowding people a little bit, but we weren't. We just wanted to get our base set up. No, it wasn't a problem at all. You and Tyler were very engaging and friendly and good to camp next to. In fact, when I got up the next morning, you guys were gone. I didn't hear a thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad because we wanted to be quiet, but we also wanted to get an early start. Okay. <laughs> now, Angela, we typically go by trail names here on the podcast. Uh, I go by Doc. That's not on my paycheck or on my driver's license. Have you picked up a trail name in your time out on the trail? Yeah. On the long trail back in 2021, I got deemed Sparrow. Yeah. And that kind of stuck. It was pretty early on on the trail. And what's the story behind Sparrow? So what it was is that I was taking a lot of breaks in the first few days. Every few minutes it felt because I was having a tough time. And apparently I always found a little grassy spot or a field and I would pop up when people came and scare them. And one girl was like, that's what sparrows do. <laughs> I think it's apt. And I, I thought it was a really nice gesture. I was excited to get that. I felt like a real hiker. So I latched right onto it. Of all the things they could have called you for bouncing up and scaring people, <laughs> sparrow seems pretty tame. Yeah, I was lucky. It was the sweetest woman ever, and she was really into bird watching and, and all of that. So. Could have gone with Jack in the Box or 
monster or who knows what. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Hey, Sparrow, have you had a chance to listen to any episodes on the podcast? Yeah, I've listened to quite a few, actually. Uh, A while ago, I was listening to some to prepare for backpacking trips, just to listen to other people. And then recently, or the recent past, I think the one I remember is from Ariel Scheip, if that's how you say her name. Yep, that's it. Yeah, I loved her. I had followed her for a while, and then I saw she had an episode. Yeah, she was a lot of fun to talk to. Just had a baby not that long ago, so she's embarking upon a new kind of journey, which Mm -hmm. is very exciting for her. Yeah, (laughs) Okay. Hey, I only ask because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that we do towards the end of each episode called the hiking hack, where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Trailblazers Toolkit. All right, Sparrow, it's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Have you heard of them? Yes, actually. I was just looking at one of their tents recently. (laughs) You know what? I'm glad you said that because if you right now through, I think it's through the end of August, I think it's August 31st. If you go to Six Moon Designs and you pick out some new gear for yourself and you put in the code HikerTrashRadio, you get a big discount. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they have some real, I was thinking of going later with my gear. So Okay. Just tell them Doc sent you. (laughs) Okay, so I love to talk about gear on the podcast. I love to hear about the most important item in my guest's adventure gear. So if you're preparing for your next adventure and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Make sure to give me all the specifics on that piece of gear. Tell me why you've got to have it out there. And this could be any kind of item. It It could be gear, it could be apparel, it could be a luxury item. So Sparrow, what is that item in your gear? I have to say, and this was recent from our last trip here too, having a GoPro with us was really cool. I'd never had any type of camera that took little better pictures than my phone. And it was really special to have those. So yeah, I, I really any kind of camera, but a GoPro is just lightest and it captures that wide angle your phone doesn't. Okay. So I've always wondered about a GoPro on the trail because when I think yeah. of GoPro, I'm thinking of guys jumping out of planes. I'm thinking of surfers. I'm thinking of skateboarders, mm-hmm. these kinds of different adventure sports. I thought, what if I took a GoPro, I, I stuck it on my chest somehow and I did my hike. Would that be entertaining for people to watch? Just the me yeah just the trail in front of me I didn't know how that would work so how do you use a GoPro on the trail so the way we used it was mostly for still pictures which I wasn't even aware uh this was uh, my hiking partner Ty's um uh, piece of equipment but you can use it for still pictures and videos so it actually takes like pretty high quality um photos and so we would set it up um if we wanted one of us or if we wanted to just take a picture of the landscape it gets this really nice wide frame and it feels for me at least it feels like it captures what your eye is seeing better than the phone okay i know that a lot with the with phone pictures you you think you're looking through your eye you're looking at these majestic scenes like just mm-hmm. incredible awe-inspiring really sometimes if you're in the shadow of a huge mountain it feels really oppressive and you try and capture that with your iphone and it doesn't work you show the picture to somebody else when you get home and they're like oh yeah that's nice that's that's a nice picture i've seen pictures like that before and it's no you just it just doesn't come across you don't get it how awesome that was yeah exactly so i I felt like it it captured it at least a little better you can never quite get the majesty okay 
We didn't hear a whole lot about your gear, but to keep us talking about gear. It's the Hiking Pole. It's the Hiking Pole, and that's pole spelled with two L's, like a survey. This is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the crazy scale from one to 100, with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, nobody has ever scored, no through hiker I've talked to has ever scored uh, 100, so I, I don't want you to feel that pressure. Uh-huh. Are you nervous about this? No, I feel I have some suspicions, but not nervous. Okay. All right. So I'm going to change things up a little bit here. I've got different sets of questions. I have a feeling you've probably heard most of most of the episodes you've probably listened to have questions from set A. So I'm going to use set C. And Alrighty. these are still all hiking related, but they're a little more open-ended. Give me a little more insight into your personality and the way your brain works. Sure. Okay, if I were to ask Tyler, where would he score Sparrow on the sanity scale? Would he put you closer to, to sane or insane? I would have to say somewhere in the middle, but he might be biased. I feel like he's a very similar level of crazy or type of crazy. Yeah. Now, who in your life is dissimilar? Is your mom a big avid through hiker or your dad or are they more like straight, straight laced, all of the traditional path? I definitely wouldn't say straight laced, but my my mom would definitely be the opposite in the way that she wouldn't put herself through what I, I might or even my dad might too. So would they score you a little closer to insane? Maybe a little bit, okay. especially when I'm planning an adventure. Okay. All right. You ready for the first question? Sure. Here we go. Question number one, hiking pole. What are the top three topics of conversation for you out on the trail? You're out there. It's been a long day. It's late in the afternoon. What are you talking about with Ty? Three, three topics. I would say food, probably, because you're looking forward to it all day. You're thinking about what you might want. So probably food. For me, I'm probably talking about blisters, talking about my feet. <laughs> and I would just have to say a general con- complaining. But in a in a in a type two fun kind of way, but still a lot of just complaining. Okay. Wondering why we're out there. Just some general complaints about the weather conditions, the state of your body, level of hunger, those kinds of things. Got it. All right. Question number two, what's on your feet? Boots or trail runners? Since you mentioned blisters. Yes. Trail runners. For sure. I started out with boots on the long trail and very quickly they came off my feet as soon as I got the chance. So... I, I definitely enjoy trail runners. All right. And tell me, tell us the difference between boots and trail runners. Why the, why the switch? Why is trail runners the preferable option? Um, for me, it was them being a lot more flexible and having a lot more space in the toe box. Just to let your feet expand while you're hiking. And then also the boots that I had were very waterproof, which was great for what I'd use them for, but it didn't let anything dry out, which especially in New England hiking is very important. Got it. And what is your preferred brand of trail runners? I've been using the uh, Salomon and I'm forgetting which, which shoe it actually is, but I like them, but I'm, I, I, they're about at the end of their life and I'm thinking about looking into Hoka's. Okay. Now I was on a, I was a guest on a podcast this past weekend where it was people who were in the army they called them grunts. It was two grunts against two, two hikers, two <laughs> backpackers. And they were talking about what the differences are, what the similarities are. And there's a big bone of contention with what's on your feet. 
in terms of they're like boots all the way, no trail runners. What, why would you wear, wear trail runners? You need ankle protection. You need you need that kind of support. Who cares if they if they weigh a little bit heavier? There's a, a big I don't want to say controversy, but there are differing opinions out there on what you should wear on your feet. I think that the commonly accepted piece of apparel on your feet there is your trail runners in the backpacking community. And I think people get lulled into, I'm going to go hiking and hiking is part of the title of hiking boots. I should probably wear boots. And a lot of people make that decision fairly soon that, you know what, maybe boots is not the way to go. Yeah, no, I definitely, I felt pretty strongly about boots, especially for me. And then I got converted very quickly. (laughs) Okay. Question number three, toilet paper, bidet, leaves, or something else? I've gone toilet paper, but I was very much thinking about a bidet because I I'd seen kind of conversation around that. And I'm like, that seems like it could do a better job, but I've just gone toilet paper. Yeah, you'd be surprised at how many people I've talked to who have made the jump to the portable bidet, the pocket bidet, mm-hmm. which seems very complicated to me. <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked into it too specifically, but it seems like it could be great. I just, I don't know how I would feel about it once I was out in the woods. Okay, and then auxiliary question, not an official question, just a kind of a follow-up. Do you mm-hmm. pack your TP out? Honestly, it's dependent on the dirt. <laughs> if I can really bury it and it doesn't seem like an area where it'd be too bad uh, or affect anything, I might just bury it. But otherwise, I, I would pack it out if it's something I can't get in the ground. Got it. Question number four, breakfast in camp, on trail, or no breakfast for you? I have mostly gone no breakfast, which has imitated me in real life. I, I just never want to eat too much in the morning. And, and hiking, I've wanted to just get going and at least cover a few miles before I, I stop. But I've also learned that it helps energy-wise a lot. So I've tried to at least get a little bar in in the first first hour or something of the day. Okay. And I mentioned earlier that when I got up, and I, I'm not a late sleeper on the trail, mm-hmm. but when I got up, you guys were gone. There was no sign of your camp, no sign of anything. <laughs> what is your usual departure time on the trail? I think the first day we just let ourselves wake up when we wanted and we were packed up and on the trail by 7.30 or so. And then we decided we wanted to get up earlier. So I think we were aiming to get out of there by six a lot of the days. Okay. Ambitious. I like it. (laughs) Question number five, stove, cold soak or stoveless? I have been going stove. Yeah, I especially get cold easily. So not everywhere, but a lot of my hikes, I want something warm at the end of the day. Yeah, can't beat a hot meal at the end of the day. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Definitely above. I don't know as far as camping necessarily, but everything else, I just, I love the feeling of being up there. Okay. And the last question in the hiking poll, let's go with what's on your head out there? Ball cap, floppy hat, straw hat, sun hoodie, no hat, or something else? Uh, For the Tahoe Rim Trail, I went with a trail running hat, and then I usually would have a sun hoodie up over it as well. But it was dealing with a lot of exposure I hadn't necessarily had to before. So I was adjusting, and I might go with a bigger hat in the future. 
on the long trail, it was nothing. Okay. You don't see you don't see the sun out there. So. <laughs> All right. Hey, Angela, stand by. I've got to do some math here. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've got to carry the two. We're going to divide by root five. Multiply that by pi. And we're going to make a slight adjustment for how hard the ground is as you are pounding away at it with your shovel. And I come up with a score of 65. Okay, that's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. That's that's one of our higher scores. You, oh, uh, wow. You're, you're fairly sane. <laughs> now, that score can, can always go down as we continue our conversation. So it's, uh, course, it's not set yeah. in stone. <laughs> okay. Now, Sparrow, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Why don't you tell us your mm-hmm. background, where you grew up, any siblings, all kinds of sports and hobbies, all the good stuff there, and then end up with telling us how you got into the thru-hiking cult. Sure. I grew up in northern Vermont, very rural, small town area. I have one brother. A little shout out him and his wife. That's actually their due date today for the first baby. So we'll see when that, that happens. But yeah, I, I grew up homeschooled and running around the forest barefoot. So I always had a kind of just built in appreciation for being out outside and in nature. So I definitely didn't have to discover that. I had that. And I went to public school through high school. I didn't really play any sports. And I honestly was not very athletic or really apt to any type of hiking or sports or anything like that. And I didn't really start doing much hiking until I went on a backpacking trip for my graduation with my dad and brother in the Grand Canyon. So we did a, it's a pretty decent hike. We went from one rim to the bottom and then back up to the same one. And yeah, that was brutal. I got back up and I said, I am never hiking again. (laughs) And stuck to that for about four or five years. And then I started getting back into hiking actually during COVID. um, And when there wasn't much else to do other than get outside and started hiking all over Vermont and New Hampshire and New York. Um, And yeah, got enamored with the idea of doing the long trail and the rest is history. Okay. I have have some questions for you about that whole backstory there. First, let's go to, let's go to the homeschooling. Yeah. Um, I know that parents choose for a variety of reasons to homeschool their children for their entire educational career or, or just portions of it. What was the reason for going to homeschool for you? Um, I think that they just really wanted me and my brother to have kind of an education where we were able to do things like run around barefoot all the time. And maybe I skimped on the math, but I got a very, a lot of valuable, very self-paced and just really great at home learning. So it wasn't anything as far as like religion or hating the world but it it was more just I think they just wanted us at home and learning in that way and then and was mom uh, or dad was mom or dad the teacher or both it was primarily my mom she was home with me and my brothers and she did she just reach a point because you said you went to public school eventually did she just reach a point with I cannot put up with Angela and her her brother for (laughs) one minute more during the week they need to get out of the house or, or what was the the impetus for getting you into public school 
she might have her own story. I don't know. But for me, the way I remember it is just that as I got older, she gave the decision over to me and I didn't know where I was going as far as college and stuff. And it's a lot easier for colleges to look at academics if they're in public schools. Okay. So the choice was yours. And you said, mom, I've Mm -hmm. had enough of you. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) And brother followed suit. Was he given the same opportunity to make that decision? And did he take it? Yeah, he's four years older than me. So he was the groundbreaker with that. And I think that he homeschooled up until his junior year in high school and then finished out in a public school system. Got it. Now, he also had the experience of running around barefoot in the woods out there. Mm -hmm. Did he follow in your footsteps or are you following in his footsteps? Is he also an avid hiker, through hiker, backpacker? Not so much. When we were younger, around high school and stuff, he was more so that. He ran track and he did a lot of hiking and he was more of that sibling. And then I remember him joking, actually, we switched places in the recent past. So he he's had a lot more focus on kind of his work life and home life. And I've definitely maybe surpassed <laughs> and gone a little bit too farther with it. So... Got it. Now, you also said you were not athletic growing up. Yes, not at all. Which I think is a great message to share. Not that Angela Gluck is not athletic, but the fact that if you're not athletic in the traditional sense, if you're not good at hitting a softball or throwing a football Mm -hmm. or shooting a basketball, that does not mean that you can't participate in some pretty awesome outdoor events like backpacking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that it's important that People know that I think that even when you are in really good shape, that doesn't always mean you are ready for or that it'll be easy to backpack and hike and stuff. And I think that surprises some people. I think it's really it's more determination than anything. Absolutely. So much of it is mind over matter, willpower, your frame of mind going into things. And I think there are so many entry points into hiking. You can be a day Mm -hmm. hiker, right? You just want to do Mm -hmm. it on a day, a few hours in the afternoon. Fantastic. Go do that. But if you want to take it further than that, the sky's the limit. You can do uh, a trip the last four or five days. You can do a trip the last six months. You can go longer than that. You do the you go for the calendar or triple crown. There's just so many ways to level up in this pastime. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I hear the joke a lot about people seeing the movie Wild or reading the book. And then going out and being totally unprepared and not being able to swing it. But, and that may be true. It might have some influence that people need to be more prepared for. But I I don't know. I think that it's more important in the way that it inspires people and lets them know that anyone can do it. Now, growing up in Vermont, did you have some level of awareness of the Long Trail and also the, the Appalachian Trail? Somewhat, yeah. I feel like I I was so out of that world that I didn't know too much about it. But then as I lived in different parts of Vermont, you would see the like trail accesses and stuff. And so that, yeah, that always piqued my interest. And when did you make up your mind, you know what, I have to hike the long trail? I was thinking about it. And then my dad actually bought me a long trail map and I think a camp stove. He made that jump. He bought me my first camp stove. And I was like, now I have to do it. So decided that I think it was January of 2021. And then I did it in August. So I started preparing 
pretty much from then on. Okay. And then I'm also tickled by your story about doing the Grand Canyon, high school graduation trip or a high school trip. Yeah. And you went with your dad and your brother and it was brutal. And I've heard this so many times that people's first experience doing these kinds of activities has just been absolutely terrible, painful, agony. And yet here we are talking about all the stuff they've done since that. And I, I just think it goes to show that even a bad experience in nature, it, it somehow is, it grabs hold of you and it, it brings you into the fold. Despite the agony, people still end up going back out there and doing more of it. What does that say about the activity? Yeah, I think for one, I think people are very good at, at forgetting the bad parts. So I think that's human nature is to remember the beauty of it, which in the Grand Canyon, there was a lot to remember. Yeah, that's and probably kind of, why yeah. that's probably why your sister-in-law is going to have more than one kid because she'll forget <laughs> exactly. all the agony. Just remember the good parts uh, about this. That, that's how that's how multiple children are born into the same family. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Women mm-hmm. in particular are yeah. very, very built in to forget pain. But uh, yeah, no, I with the Grand Canyon too. Looking back on it, definitely helped me want to prepare more for the next trip because. My dad had done all his part. We were prepared with gear, food, all of the important things. But I think I went down there in jean shorts and like a American Eagle like tank top. Like I just had no, I was so out of the hiking world. I just did not, didn't really know how to prepare. Uh, and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of some of the details of that trip after the break. So don't go too far down that, <laughs> down that trail. But what are you doing these days to... Pay the bills and finance your next adventure. Yeah. So right now I just work, I like clean houses around my area. So I don't have a career path that I've been working on, working up. But yeah, so I've hopped around a lot of different jobs. I was a hairdresser for a long time, been a house cleaner. I'm currently getting, doing a yoga teacher training. So that's my next adventure for a job. Okay, I have some follow-up questions on that as well. Mm -hmm. Always looking for good stories. What is your worst house cleaning story? Oh, man. Some type Uh, type two bordering on type three fun cleaning a house. What what is... Oh, yeah. I think that I was... Before this job now, I was cleaning Airbnbs up around the Tahoe area. And just the way that people treated... Airbnbs there, like they treated like the beach there when they go to party, like they just trash it. But yeah, nothing too specific. Again, probably blocking it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just people who really trash the spaces that they're in vacationing in. Okay. Follow up question. Worst hairdresser story. Ooh, Did yeah. you ever make a cut and go, Ooh, that, that might be a little too much off the top. Yeah, one time I, during our kind of consultation of the men's cut, I think that I asked a couple of times, what do you do? Do scissors on top? Do you do clippers? He said, yeah, clippers all over, just the number two all over. I'm like, are you sure? Pretty short. And he said, yes. But then as I, I ran the clippers right down the top of that head, he was like, oh, it's usually a little bit longer there. And I'm like, I, I asked, but... Don't think I charged you much for that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
Uh, hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from the advertisers, pay a couple of bills. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Grand Canyon. We're going to talk about the Long Trail. We're going to talk about the Tahoe Rim Trail. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, 
fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome back. We're talking to Angela Gluck, a.k.a. Sparrow. And we've just heard about kind of her, her childhood and growing up. We had a great hiking pole. And we've heard reference to a couple of these trips. I really want to get into the nitty gritty because that you've really set up the Grand Canyon trip as, as being a memorable trip for a lot of the wrong reasons. And I want to delve a little bit more into that. So how, what time of the year was it when you went? I think we went in, I think it was July or August, um, which is in Arizona is, is, is pretty brutal as far as the weather. Um, uh, and that was one reason we didn't know we needed a permit to camp at the bottom. And that's one reason they still had some because no one really wanted to be camping. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe a little, little tip. Um, maybe this is a hiking hack. If it's the middle of hiking season and there's not a, there, there are a lot of permits available at a particular spot, there might be a reason for that. Yep. Absolutely. So you show up in jean shorts and in American Eagle tank top. What kind of shoes were you wearing at the time? Was, was it the hiking boots? No, I actually did have, I just had running sneakers on and I used to say that as part of the outfit, like, oh, I can't believe I was wearing running sneakers. But then I had to stop saying that as soon as I converted over to, to loving trail runners. So I think that was the right decision. Okay. So you parked the car. What kind of, what, what does your gear look like? Your dad, your dad has accumulated all the gear. What does he yeah. have for you and your brother? You know, I, I don't remember the the brands necessarily of the backpacks, but they seemed like they were they were pretty nice, um, like, uh, you know, like probably 65 liter, like big backpacks. Um, I think we borrowed some from from our uh, my uncle, his brother, who we were visiting, too. And yeah, we between three of us and we were only down there for two nights. You know, it wasn't wasn't too much. So do you remember how much the bags weighed or did you even know? I don't think we weighed them. I don't think, you know, I think my, my dad is, is very uh, adventurous, is, has had a lot of experiences, you know, climbing all over and hiking, but he's never been one to uh, try to make it convenient for himself. He likes the hard way. So. The brute force method, just going to take it all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, do you advocate... Uh, weighing your pack now and knowing how much you're carrying or is, is ignorance bliss? I think that it's good to know. I definitely do weigh my base weight. And then once I have food and stuff, but I think that it's an important not to get really focused on it. What was your base weight on the Tahoe rim trail? Um, I want to say it was, it was a little higher than I would have liked. I want to say it was like 16 to 18 pounds. Okay. But yeah. And how does one go about figuring out their, their base weight? Do you actually get on a scale? Do you use like a luggage uh, scale? Do you just add up the, the weight of the component items that are on the, uh, you know, the, the, the specifications for each item? How does that work? Uh, I've used the luggage scale. That's what I used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before I had the luggage scale, I would, I would get on the scale weigh myself and then I get get off the scale I put on my pack and then I get back on the scale and then I have to do some math yeah so yeah yeah math's not my strong suit I'm gonna make it simple for myself it's that, it's that homeschooling 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How high did you get in math? Uh, what do you mean? Well, algebra, geometry, trig? Oh, oh. Calculus? Um, uh, I want to say like uh, algebra two or something in high okay. school. All I right. did. I did what was required. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to blame it on homeschooling it. I think it really is me, <laughs> but I just, I did what I needed to. Okay. So you, your dad and your brother get out of the car, you have your packs, you set out, you're at the top and you're going down to the bottom. How did that trip down go? Uh, you know, I, I'd never been anywhere out West and definitely never where in like anywhere like Arizona. Um, so it was a lot of just like taking in just no trees, just rock. Um, and then looking down on the Grand Canyon, you can see all the switchbacks to to at least maybe halfway down, I would say. So it, it was a big moment of like, oh, we're, we're going way down there and you can see where you're going. And you know what I think about when I'm going down a long ways? <laughs> that you have to go back up. That's it. exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Whatever goes down has to come back up. So Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought that it was going to be relatively easy going down too. And I found out that, you know, your legs get just as tired of it. So. Mm-hmm. Now, what made the trip so difficult? Was there a particular bad point or were there multiple bad points? Or was it just, you know, you this is your first time out there and it was just... Uh, really tough conditions. Yeah, I think it was really just that I was um, me- like physically and mentally underprepared for it. So I just, uh, I'd never carried like a pack with weight hiking that many miles. And um, I really didn't know what to expect. So I think it just, it took a, it took a toll. And did you pull up the rear? Was, was dad and, and brother just kind of charging down the trail or did you guys stay together in a pack? Uh, I think most of the time we stayed together. Um, you know, I, I think that there was probably sometimes when, when you know, maybe my brother would go ahead a little bit or something. Okay. Now we've got some listeners out there who are who are day hikers, I'm sure, who have never done an overnight, and maybe they're considering doing an overnight. Take us through that first night on the trail where you spent the night out uh, in the wilderness. How did that go? Yeah, I mean, I I had definitely done camping, you know, during like my childhood and stuff. And I I enjoyed that. Um, I think after such like a physical toll of the first day, it it definitely was a different experience. Um, You felt a lot more grateful for it. Um, And it also helped me sleep, which which was a plus. Um, I think that that's one thing that people struggle with is, is kind of falling asleep in the outdoors. Yeah, what's the trick there? Uh, you know, I'm still looking for one. I've definitely, you know, still wake up a lot during the night, but, um, I think the, the trick is to just exhaust yourself so much that, that your body's just ready to shut down. <laughs> Maybe yeah. That's best I also think it has to do with your mind races sometimes yeah. and you gotta, you gotta find a way not to think about anything. Just, just empty the mind and, and relax because sometimes yeah. your mind gets stuck in a loop especially when you're doing a new experience like you know backpacking for the first time it can be it can be difficult yeah and i i think that especially if you've had a really tough first day um that is you know particularly solo if you're out there and you get to your first night after a really rough first day you're kind of just thinking you're like oh my god what did i get myself into now have you done any solo hiking as a young lady 
Yeah, so I actually did most of the long trail solo. Okay, um, well, let's let's switch to the long trail then. Yeah. Because I I would love to hear about your experience hiking solo as a female. I yeah. know that, you know, I've talked to a number of, of guests about this topic and um, ladies have to consider other things that I, I don't normally think about when I'm out there, even if, you know, if I'm alone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, I think that it, it was interesting for me because I did, I've heard a lot of the same stories of, of women saying, um, you know, I went out and I kind of found out how to be alone and how to feel safe alone. And, you know, for me, I, I kind of felt like I was already really good at being alone and very comfortable with it, um, you know, with with still having to think about safety. But um, was that because I of the homeschooling? <laughs> Not so much that it's just I've I've always loved adventures and I, I don't love waiting around for someone who's going to be able to share them with me or share them in the way that I want to. So I've just gone out and done what I wanted. And um, with hiking too, you know, during COVID, it was, I wasn't inviting anyone else out there. So um, I kind of learned it all myself. Um, and yeah, on, on the long trail, I, I went into it thinking I was so comfortable being alone and that I already knew how to do that. And I actually felt like my experience was uh, really actually learning how much I enjoyed other people and, and finding those connections on the trail. So I, I almost feel like I had the opposite experience of a lot of people kind of going out on their solo journey. Okay. You say opposite experience. So you, you went out there and you found that, you know, you missed others. Yeah, missed and uh, however much I didn't want to admit it, needed other people. <laughs> okay, and you think a lot of people go out and do solo because they realize about themselves that they don't need other people. Well, not necessarily don't need, but just that they really go out and, and discover how strong they can be on their own and that they are capable of doing it um, without necessarily like direct, you know, someone walking next to you. Mm -hmm. And do you think that you realizing that you need other people is that a indication of uh um your personality in some way um i think maybe the struggle to admit it was indicative of my personality but um i think that everyone needs needs the community and i think that going out and doing something so difficult just allowed me to to see that now, what is the right size community to, to hike in? Do you have an opinion on that? How big is too big? Uh, as far as like a hike, like going out with people, yes, like starting with people. Oh, that's that's tough. Um, I mean, for me, I think that like one or two people is ideal. Uh, just as far as really being able to agree on things like a group activity can, it takes a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, diplomacy. <laughs> and so I, I think that, that, that's a struggle with planning and, and different people's abilities and stuff. But I think one or two people, it sounds like a great group. I like that trail diplomacy. <laughs> New concept. Okay. Now, did you ever find yourself when you were alone on the long trail, did you ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, what am I doing out here? Any, any real type two fun or scary moments? 
Yeah, I mean, really most of it, to be honest. Um, it really hit me for sure on the first day, um, you know, just like having my dad drop me off at the the Massachusetts border and walking into the woods and being like, what, what am I possibly doing now that I'm out here? Um, and then I had a really rough first four days. Uh, my, my bag wasn't adjusted right, even though I, I did a lot of research and I had boots on that were, were just destroying my feet. Um, so the first four days were really hard. Um, and I think that was a lot of questioning and almost like, I'm like, I, I almost wish I would get hurt so I can get off the trail because I'm, you know, too stubborn to actually stop. <laughs> Now tell me about your dad's reaction to you hiking the long trail by by yourself and him dropping you off and leaving you there. You know, um, you know, I think he had the the normal amount of worry that a parent has, but he I think he he very much understands. He's been very similar of um, kind of going on adventures by himself. He uh, went into the woods in his early twenties built a, a cabin you know out of hand tools and he, he's very much forged his own solo adventures so I think he understood um I think my mom maybe was a little more worried but she was supportive as well <laughs> now I've never met your dad never talked to him I've only mm-hmm. I only know just from the few words that you've said about him but I mm-hmm. I get the impression that hit you your relationship with your dad is a solid one and he has a lot of trust and confidence in you. If he is dropping off to hike solo, the, the Vermont long trail. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think so. We, we have a great relationship and I think, you know, he respects that I'm, I'm probably going to do things anyways. And so that he can just, you know, love me through it, I guess. (laughs) Okay. Now the first four days were miserable. You're looking for any excuse to get off the trail. What was the turning point? The turning point, which um, is really, you know, where I started saying that I needed other people is that I met, you know, I'd spent some time around other hikers, you know, at camps and stuff, but I ended up meeting some people that I really connected with um, and people who were like, kind of made it clear to me, I could just get off and get new shoes. And and the concept hadn't really even uh, occurred to me. I just thought that I just had to suffer. Um which you do, but not as much as I was. Yeah. And I, I met people who, you know, I went to their weddings and stuff. I, I still talk to them. Like I made some really deep connections. And talk about that phenomenon. I mean, it is, it is crazy how quickly you form these deep bonds with other people out on the trail. Why, why, and how does that happen? Um, I mean, I think part of it is almost this, this like trauma bonding where, uh, you know, you're in a situation where you're really, you're really looking to help each other. Um, I think also just knowing that someone else is going through what you're going through. I feel like at that point, I'd mostly met Appalachian hikers who were on their at least 1500 miles. I don't remember the point in the trail, you know, where they got into, but, you know, people who were very established and confident. And so, then I meeting other long trail hikers, I realized that other people were, um, you know, going through what I was and it, it makes it so that you, you really connect very easily. Okay. Best point of the long trail. Ah, oh, the best point. I mean, it's hard to pick because I had, I had many, 
Um, one of the most fun things that happened was that I ended up being a mail carrier from one shelter to another. Uh, there was uh, pretty early on in the trail, um, this caretaker of one of the shelters, some of the nicer ones have people who, who are there, um, came up to a bunch of us hikers and, and gave us this letter. And she was like, can you take this to the caretaker up in, in, on Mount Mansfield, which is much, much farther north, probably by like a hundred miles or so. Um, and initially it wasn't me. We gave it to, you know, this guy who is a very strong hiker, um, done the AT and all of that. And then he got off the trail and it got passed to my close friend. Cause I was like, Oh, she's definitely going to make it. And then she got off the trail and passed it to me. And so, and then I hiked it up and, and was able to give it to uh, the caretaker there. So felt like a, it felt like a little video game side quest. It was very cool. That is cool. Was it, was there postage on it? There was not. No. And she didn't, she didn't even waive our fees for staying at the camp. I was like, <laughs> that could have been the post postage. But. Wow. Got cheated there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, if, if people are listening and they're considering doing the long trail, what, uh, what advice might you have for them? Um, you know, I think to not underestimate it, um, because it is, a, it is a pretty approachable amount of miles, especially if you've done long distance backpacking. But um, that it, it's extremely tough. Uh, Vermont does not let anything come easy. So it's just... It's, uh, it's extremely difficult hiking, the trails, the weather. Uh, yeah, so to not underestimate it. Um, and uh, you, you have to love it. You have to, you have to love it. Um, there's not a lot of views. <laughs> so, you know. What, what's, think, what's to love out there about it? Um, you know, it was definitely special for me uh, because it is my home state and it was, it was shortly before I moved to California, so it felt like a, a really special goodbye. Um, but I think that is incredibly rewarding in the way that it is so tough and you're in a green tunnel most of the time um, that you, you start loving just the process of hiking and then you get these, these beautiful moments where you come up over a tree line, you know, on the, the few <laughs> that you get. Um, and then also, I, I think that the trail community there is, is really special. It's, it's the oldest long trail. Um, so it's really established in that way. Yeah. A very wise man once said that backpacking is hours of agony interspersed by moments of absolute beauty. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the long trail uh, shows that very well. I think that wise man was me. <laughs> All right. It, what should they do at northbound or southbound? Um, I liked doing it northbound um, just because you you kind of it feels like going up. It feels like going to Canada, which, you know, I feel like is is a thing in, in backpacking. You get to get to the, the granite spire at the border. So but, you know, I don't I don't think it. um it matters too much. If you want to get the harder part out of the way, a lot of people go uh, southbound in that case because the northern part is harder. Okay. Now you mentioned you moved out to California. What, what took you out west? Um, you know, I think I kind of got a little taste of, of out west when I went to Arizona and I had been meaning to return 
and you know things things always happen you know the car breaks down or you get a job you like or you know there's a pandemic so um I felt like I just finally made it out there uh and I was I was considering a few different spots and ended up uh wanting to be in Tahoe okay and did you know anybody in Tahoe or did you just take did you go by yourself did your family move with you no, yeah, it was it was another solo trip. So I, I drove um, across the country. Uh, and then um, my partner, Ty, who you met, uh, grew up with me in Vermont, and we reconnected out here. So he was already out here. Okay, now your partner, boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, boyfriend. Boyfriend, yeah. okay. Fiance? Yeah. Uh, no. Not yet? <laughs> no. Okay, all right. Um, so you get to Tahoe, and when do you make the decision to do the Tahoe Rim Trail? And what can you tell us about the Tahoe Rim Trail? Yeah, uh, so I kind of heard about it um, as I was looking at hiking in the area, because that was a big reason I wanted to be out here. And I was considering it, um, kind of going back and forth, looking at that, looking at the the JMT. Um, and then... Uh, Ty actually surprised me by suggesting that he might want to go on a through hike, which before he was, he thought it was crazy. He was more about the, the like quick, intense adventures um, and not so much about the, the long, grueling suffering. So I was surprised and, and jumped right on the idea. Was that uh, part of your influence on him? Uh, maybe, yeah, I think. Maybe I just talked enough about the long trail. I finally wore him down. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long is the Tahoe Rim Trail? The Tahoe Rim Trail is, uh, I think the official mileage is 165, but I've heard a lot of people say it's longer, but I think officially 165. Okay, and did you do the whole thing? We did not. We we set out to through hike it, to do the whole loop, um, and then uh, we had to get off due to a knee injury. Mm. <laughs> um, Ty sprained his his knee, I think on the like second or third day. And then it just got progressively worse to where it, it was not, you know, it was not worth sustaining a lifelong injury to, to finish a trail. Right. Was that before or after you camped right on top of us? Uh, I think it was before that, but um it, it wasn't too bad at that point. And then we started pushing some longer mileage and that really kind of did it in. Yeah. And you guys were going uh, counterclockwise, right? We were actually going clockwise. Clockwise. Which, so you um, left you left our camp and started heading towards... Um, uh, like what? up over Dick's Pass. Dick's Pass. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And how far did you get before you realized, hey, this is, this is not going to work? And, and how did you bail out? Um, I think that that next day there did kind of give him a little bit more of an idea that it was something serious just because there's uh, about like the mile of snow down the other side of, of that pass. Um, and that's, you know, really hard on, on your stabilizers and your knee and stuff going down that. Uh, but it really wasn't until the next day that he kind of let me know. Um, and we had a resupply coming up in Tahoe City. So we pushed a really long last day of our five days um, uh, and then and just got there and decided we we were going to call it in, in town there. Got it. And, you know, it was a high snow year in California and in the Sierras mm-hmm. this past year. Um, any advice to hikers about hiking in, in high snow years, what to watch out for? 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so uh, hard to predict. Uh, there was things that were impassable in the beginning of July that were uh, fairly easy in the end of July. Um, so sometimes it is worth waiting or postponing. We, we initially actually wanted to do the beginning of July, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I think that it's hard if you've never hiked on snow, if you, if you're not some from somewhere that has snow, uh, I think that if it's about peace of mind and that you're not comfortable with it, it's worth the wait for microspikes. Uh, we didn't bring them, but there were definitely one or two times where I wish I had had them. Okay. Now, also with, with high snow comes high water. Any difficult water crossings? Nothing too difficult, actually. Um, and that was kind of a plus that our water supplies were, were plentiful and really great quality. Um, yeah, I think there was only like two rivers that we had to actually like take our shoes off and kind of get across that way. Okay. And are you a big advocate of taking your trail runners off when you cross streams or keep them on? Um, you know, I think it's personal. I think if, if you have a pair that dries out well, um, then it doesn't really matter, you know, but if you have maybe, uh, some that, you know, are not going to dry well, it's important to take them off. You know, you don't, you don't want that for the rest of the day. So. Yeah. Now Sparrow, did you encounter any trail magic out there on the trail, either the long trail or the Tahoe Rim Trail? Um, a lot on the long trail. A lot of people, especially because it shares 100 miles with the Appalachian Trail, um, you know, people are more apt to get out there for the long trails and, and make people sandwiches. Um, that was actually another part of my my turnaround on the long trail was uh, when I met all of the people that I got close to. There was also some trail magic where they made me this like gorgeous like French bread and brie and apple sandwich. And I, I think that's actually what got me through. <laughs> Yeah, it could be a turning point. I mean, it is, it is, you never know what people are going through. And so just mm -hmm. some display of kindness, of support can turn someone's whole attitude around. Yeah. And um, yeah, on the Tahoe Rim Trail, um, there, uh, you know, I never really saw trail magic, a lot, like as far as people bringing it out um, along, along the trail. I, but when we did get to um, Tahoe City where we had to end our hike, we had the dilemma of how to get back to our car um, because we were planning on hiking a loop back to it. Uh, and I kind of just put it out there in a Facebook community about the trail. Um, and this, this wonderful guy uh, drove all the way from Reno, all the way to us, brought us all the way to south, the south part of the lake, which is, uh, if you don't know the size of the lake, it's very, you know, it's like an hour to get down there. Um, so, yeah, and he, he was just this wonderful um, retired guy, and he, he, like, gave us all these wonderful stories of his adventures, you know, hella skiing and uh, just all, the, all these things, and he just wanted to know about ours, so. Okay. Now, what's, what's next for Sparrow and Tyler? What's the next mm -hmm. big adventure? Um. You know, I think we're going to try to finish up the Tahoe Rim Trail in sections, we're thinking. Um, mostly because when, you know, we're trying to give the guy who gave us a ride gas money, he's like, no, no, just repay me by telling me when you finish. And we're like, oh, now we have to finish. So uh, so we're probably going to finish that in, in maybe weekend hikes, um, maybe a couple nights. 
And then otherwise, nothing, nothing too big. Uh, we just got paddle boards recently. So just kind of enjoying the rest of the summer on, on some lakes and stuff. You, you didn't carry on, carry your paddle boards with you on the Tahoe Rim Trail? My, you know, that, that would be, I think that it, that would give ultralight people a heart attack and, and probably me too, trying to carry it. So not so much. It, going back to finishing the Tahoe Rim Trail in sections, doing them, doing them on the weekends. I think that's one of the great things about not only the Tahoe Rim Trail, but also the Appalachian Trail is it's really town adjacent. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, you can access lar- many parts of the trail, uh, you know, fairly easily. So that, yeah. it, it's conducive to doing that kind of activity where you're just doing weekend hikes and finishing it. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, it's it's some really nice sections. And we actually did all the, the quote unquote hardest part, like Desolation Wilderness first. So, um, which is why people don't do it clockwise. You know, I'm I'm a little confused about why mm-hmm. it's called Desolation Wilderness, because it really was gorgeous. I mean, it wasn't, didn't seem desolate to me. I mean, it, lots of trees yeah. and lakes and just uh, incredible, incredible views. Yeah, no, who knows? Maybe it was just someone trying to uh, scare off people from trying to get there. Who knows? You've heard about the, the story with Iceland and Greenland, right? Oh, the, I'm not sure. Oh, the Vikings. Oh, yeah. yeah, the Vikings, when they when they came over, they, they ran into Iceland. It was just absolutely gorgeous, and they wanted to warn people off, so they called it Iceland. Uh, yep, might, and, might be something like that. And then they, they called Greenland Greenland because it's the opposite. It's all ice. So interesting. <laughs> Good strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hey, Sparrow, you know where we are right now? Where's that? Hiking Hacks. It's time for Hiking Hacks, where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So, Sparrow, got any hiking hacks in the store? Um, you know, I feel like... Uh, especially since I've started doing more yoga, um, which like a practice has been like pretty significant in the last like few years for me. Um, I, I just like the, the benefits that just having like a very basic stretching and mobility routine is really, really outstanding, whether it's like for hiking or just for like your, your, um, kind of, uh, workouts. It just, it just helps you stay uninjured flexibility is the key and it's something that i lack very much I'm, I'm 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 not that flexible at all i need to be more flexible what is what is your favorite yoga pose oh that's hard to say because it, it really depends on the day i mean um i think that one of my favorite ones is probably not even really a traditional pose but it's just um kind of like crouching down and leaning forward so your ankles really get a deep stretch, which is all I could do after the Tahoe Rim Trail, basically. <laughs> okay. And what is your least favorite yoga pose? Ah, uh, that's probably one called uh, wheel, just because I'm not good at it. Uh, it's like this very deep back bend, and it's, it's just difficult to get into. So, but you know, there's everything looks different for, for each person doing yoga. And I think that there's a, a way to kind of make everything work for you. So, Okay. So that's advice from a future yoga instructor right there. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. We're just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Sparrow. I want to thank her for joining us this week. Angela, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? 
think for that, it's pretty much just Instagram, uh, which uh, it's at Angie Gluck on Instagram. Um, yeah, I think that is pretty much it for socials. Okay. Remember to check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, Sparrow, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie, documentary, maybe some other type of adventure media. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. Any suggestions? Uh, one book I read, rest, uh, read recently is um, Nowhere for a Very Long Time by uh, Brianna Media. And uh, it's, it's not like necessarily a hiking book, but it does follow this woman's life who's uh, definitely defined by the outdoors and adventures. So it's, I think a lot of people would enjoy it. Any, any, any other information you can reveal about that's kind of, uh, oh, like a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. Not, not... <laughs> yeah. It's, I, it's like a biographical type. So it just kind of follows her life and, um, uh, this, this really cool old vehicle she fixed up as a van and, and her kind of adventures hiking and, and climbing and stuff out of it. Um, yeah. Okay. What have you learned about yourself through hiking? That is a good one. I think that, um, I mean, one thing that I was surprised about, which I brought up before was just that I, I really did love, uh, community and having that. Um, and, that it's, you know, that really you and your strength brings you through, uh, but you really do need support along the way. Okay. What have we not asked you? All right, Sparrow, one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss tonight? Hmm, Let's see. I mean, I was gonna, I feel like I was going to uh, talk about yoga, but I've already exhausted that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that um, I could talk forever about the long trail. So I'll just, I'll just continue to talk about that. But I think that um, one of the really cool things about it, if anyone's interested in doing it, um, is is just kind of how... uh, like the trail registers are there for years and you get to read through them um, and you really get a sense of, of all the people that have been through. And um, it, it's a really special feeling. It makes you feel like you're part of something bigger. So I guess I'm really just uh, advertising for, for the Green Mountain Club, which is who, who uh, <laughs> uh, takes care of it. But. Are you an unofficial spokesperson for the Green Mountain Club? You know, I don't know if they'll, they'll let me say that, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, we are finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Angela. We really wish you the best of luck in your future adventures. We want to hear about that completed Tahoe Rim Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, hope you consider coming back and, and sharing some more stories with us. As we close up, any shout outs to friends and family? Yeah, um, I mean, a shout out to uh, the, the new baby that may be coming soon. Um, into my brother and, and his wife's life. Uh, yeah, to the rest of my family and um, to, to my partner, Ty, who I, I wouldn't want to share uh, 
any anything else on or off the trail with anyone else. So. Okay. Now I want you to suggest to your brother and your sister-in-law that they name the baby Doc. It could be, you know, boy or a girl. It works either way. I think it's even cuter with a girl. So, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think so, too. They're probably going to. They're The whole list is going to be erased now. I think that that's going to be. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're there in your jean shorts and your American Eagle tank top. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.